Hello, First Southern Baptist Church of Scottsdale. I'm David Johnson, and I'm so glad to be preaching for you this weekend. So thankful for your pastor and for his good recovery, and I'm thankful for the way that he serves as our director for the Zona Youth Camp across our state. I'm also grateful for you and for your church and for what you give to the cooperative program, giving generously to missions to help plant churches in Arizona, send missionaries around the world, and all of them to go out and preach and spread the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to talk about that gospel. And you can have confidence that our missionaries, our church planters, are out preaching and spreading the authentic gospel that is taught by the Scripture. There are many different versions of the gospel that you might find out there in the world today. You might hear the Mormon gospel, the gospel of Joseph Smith, and a works-based salvation working to make their way to a higher place in heaven. Or you might hear the Jehovah's Witness gospel, the gospel of Jesus establishing the kingdom in 1914 with uh, Russell and Rutherford and about their desire to be in the 144,000 that will inherit the earth. Or you might hear the Seventh-day Adventist gospel of adherence to the Old Testament law. It was started in 1844 by Mary Baker Eddy. Or you might hear the Neo-Pentecostal gospel of health and wealth and prosperity that's so popular in our country today. Or you might even hear about the social justice gospel of redeeming society and structures with activism and good works. You might hear the, the gospel of Islam about Muhammad and the Quran. But none of these are the authentic gospel of the New Testament. They all fall short in one way or another. And we see the earliest expression of that gospel in its purest form in Acts chapter 2 and 3 with the preaching of Peter. Now in our Bibles, we have the gospel according to Matthew and the gospel according to Mark and the gospel according to Luke and the gospel of according to John. But what about Peter? Well, in Acts chapter 3, verses 11 through 26, we see the gospel according to Peter. And what we'll notice is it's really all about Jesus. Now, in the background of this passage, leading up to when we're going to start this passage today, was the healing of the lame man in the temple. And you might remember the story about Peter and John as they're coming into the temple at the time of prayer, and they see this lame man who asks them for something as, uh, as he is looking for a donation, for a handout. And Peter says, look at us. We don't have silver or gold. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. And he did. He was seen walking and leaping and praising God. And the people were all amazed. And they ran into the temple. And it's at that very moment that we pick up the story. They're all looking to Peter. Looking to hear what just happened. And listen. Listen to what Peter says. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 11. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. 
And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, and the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given this man perfect health in the presence of you all. And now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that his Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled. Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Moses said, The Lord will send up, will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaimed these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring all the families of the earth shall be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you, by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter finds in this event an opportunity to tell the people that gathered around him about Jesus. It was an unusual opportunity to proclaim the gospel, so he wants to make it as clear as he possibly can. And so I would like for us to look at these high points, what are the main things that Peter says as he is sharing what the gospel message is really all about? Now, it begins by making it very clear that Jesus was glorified by God. Jesus was glorified by God. Jesus, Peter says, it wasn't by their own power or piety that this man was healed, as if they could do that by themselves. It was God glorifying Jesus through this miracle. Now notice how Peter identifies Jesus. He describes him as his servant. God glorified his servant. And that points back to a prophecy that was made in Isaiah 52, 13, that God would send his servant. It would be the Messiah, his servant. And we will see references all the way through this passage that go back to that passage in Isaiah 53. In the next verse, it says that 
that the people actually delivered over and denied Jesus, which points again to Isaiah 53, that Jesus would be despised and rejected, but that God glorified him through this healing. Now, God had glorified Jesus through the many miracles that were done in Jesus' lifetime. You think about all the things that Jesus did the miraculous things that followed him. That was God glorifying his son, Jesus Christ. But that wasn't the only way that God glorified Jesus. God also glorified Jesus by the resurrection of the dead. Notice that that's what Peter focuses in on. He glorified his servant by raising him from the dead. Now Peter made this clear in his sermon on Pentecost as well. In Acts chapter 2, he talked about how God raised up Jesus, whom they had killed, and by his resurrection had declared that he was both Lord and Christ. God ultimately raised Jesus up from the dead and glorified him in that way so that we might receive new life. We might be raised from the dead of our own sinfulness and that we might have confidence in eternal life. God glorified his son Jesus by the resurrection of the dead. And then he glorified Jesus with a name that is above every name. That's what Paul would later say about Jesus in Philippians chapter 2. But look at the exalted names of Jesus that Peter refers to in this passage. He calls him the Holy and Righteous One. Now that's an unusual title. But both of them apply to Jesus. Do you remember the demons that Jesus cast out of the Gadarene man in Mark chapter 1? They said, we know who you are, Jesus. You are the Holy One of God. Isaiah 53 calls this suffering servant that is Jesus the righteous one. So Peter is simply identifying Jesus by these two messianic titles and saying that God glorified him as the holy and righteous one of God. And then he also refers to Jesus as the author of life. He says that they had killed the author of life. Now, Jesus was not the, uh, he's not saying that he is uh, the only one. He is saying that he is the, uh, the one who is the first of all that would be raised from the dead. The author means he is the leader, the ruler, the prince of life. Much like John refers to him in Revelation chapter 1 verse 18. That he was the firstborn from the dead. The one who has the keys of, of death and Hades itself. And as the firstborn, he is the one that gives life to us. He's the one that has preeminence and prominence. And Jesus is the one who is, who is raised from the dead to never die again. Not only is he the holy and righteous one and the author of life, but he is also the name that saves in verse 16, he is very clear. It says, And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong, whom you see and know the faith that is through Jesus has given the man, this man perfect health in the presence of you all. It was the name of Jesus that made it possible for this man to be healed. Later on in Acts chapter 4, verse 12, Peter will put it this way, that there is no other name under heaven that is given to men by which we must be saved. 
the name of Jesus. John put it a little bit differently in John chapter 1. He says, but to as many as received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. It was the name of Jesus that healed this man. It's the name of Jesus that saves. And it's that name that has now been exalted above every name because God has glorified his servant, Jesus. Now there's lots of other religions, lots of other gospels that like to glorify the name of their founder, whether that was Muhammad or whether it was Joseph Smith or whether it was Buddha. But no other religion, no other gospel can make the claim that God glorified the name of their founder with a name that's above every name by raising him from the dead. Jesus is the only one that God has glorified in that way. He truly is the holy and righteous one. He is the one who is the author of life. He is the one that has the name that's above every name. And he has the name that is saves, that saves. And that is why we must call on the name of Jesus Christ to be saved. To place faith in him and in his name so that we might be saved as well. That's the first point of Peter's presentation of the gospel that Jesus was glorified by God. But he also wants to make clear why they need a Savior. So through this presentation of the gospel, Peter says Jesus was rejected by his own people. Jesus was rejected by his own people. Peter wants to drive home the point that it's because of their actions and because of what they did that they need a Savior. They need to be saved. They, they need to seek after God's forgiveness and pardon. He uses some words to describe this. He says that they delivered Jesus over to be crucified. They delivered him over. Now, Jesus himself had, been, had predicted in Matthew chapter 20, verse 19, that he would be delivered over to the Gentiles. And in Acts chapter 2, verse 23, Peter said that they had delivered over Jesus to those that crucified him. Now he said that this fulfilled the plan that God had from way beforehand and God had ordained even before the foundations of the earth. It was God's plan for this to happen. And a little bit later he says that he knows they acted in ignorance. But now Peter is saying, now you know. Now you're aware. You know what it is that you have done and it shows that you need a Savior. They not only delivered Jesus over, but it says that and Peter says that they denied him. They denied the holy and righteous one. That means that they rejected the one who was sent from God. They rejected his claims to, to what Jesus said he was, that he and the Father were one. They rejected who Jesus was by denying him. John chapter 1, verse 11 says that Jesus came into his own and his own received him not. And it's another reflection of what Isaiah 53 said about Jesus, that he would be despised and rejected by men. He was denied. Jesus warned them that if they attributed the things that he did to Satan, it would be, it would be like the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. The only sin that God could not forgive was that sin of denying and rejecting him because ultimately it denies and rejects the very provision that God makes 
for our sin. Ultimately, this deliverance and denial led to Jesus' death. And Peter says they killed the author of life, not knowing that he was, he was the one that really would not die. He died, and then he rose again to never die again. I remember years ago when we were in Israel, there was such a big debate and argument about, about who was actually responsible for the death of Jesus. The Jews refused that responsibility. They said, no, it's not, it's not our responsibility. It was the Romans. The Romans were the ones that put him to death. But I think Peter would beg to differ. I think Peter would say that they were the ones that denied him and delivered him over to death. But when you think about it, who was really responsible for the death of Jesus? In the end, it's you and it's me. It's all of us. Because Jesus took our place on the cross. Jesus died for us to pay for our sins. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6 says, He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon Him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with His wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. You and I may not have been present that day when Jesus was crucified, but we were present in our great substitute, the Lord Jesus Christ, who took upon himself our sins and the sins of all of the whole world and died in our place as our substitute so that we might have forgiveness of sins and eternal life, so that we might receive the perfect record that he had before God. We are just as responsible as they were that day, and that is why we need a Savior, because we too are guilty of sin. So Jesus was glorified by God. Jesus was rejected, denied, crucified by his own people. The third part of Peter's presentation of the gospel is that Jesus was predicted by the prophets. Because Peter wants them to understand that Jesus was, was just no ordinary person. He was the very one that the prophets had predicted long ago would come as God's anointed Messiah. Now there were some things he says about this that are very important. The first one he says that was predicted was that, that Christ would suffer that he would suffer. You see that so clearly in Isaiah 53 in the passage I just read that he was pierced, he was crushed. You see that in passages like Psalm 22 that Jesus quoted when he was on the cross talking about the crucifixion that he went through. All of that was predicted. That's why Jesus said over and over again that the Son of Man had to suffer, had to suffer as the prophets had said. The second thing Peter says in this passage is that, that Christ would blot out our sins. That now we can turn to him to have our sins blotted out. You realize that's what Isaiah 43, 25 says, that I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake, and I will not remember your sins. Jeremiah 31, 34 says this, For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. He was speaking about the new covenant that Jesus would bring to us, that God would blot out our sins. Paul uses that very word in Colossians chapter 2, verse 14, to say that God canceled the debt and, and the, 
the, the written uh, penalty that was against us by nailing it to the cross. And then Peter says that Jesus came to fulfill the prophecy about a prophet like Moses, that God was going to send a prophet like Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, God promised to send a prophet like Moses who would speak God's truth to the people and everyone would be required to listen and follow. The Jews had been waiting for this prophet ever since and some had even asked John the Baptist, are you the prophet? John chapter 1 verse 21, clearly wanting to know if he was the one that had come to fulfill this prophecy that was made about the prophet like Moses. But Peter clearly identifies that it was Jesus. Jesus is the prophet like Moses. That means that everyone who hears the words of Jesus will be required to listen and will be held accountable for what they do with his words. They'll be judged on the basis of how they respond to him. And then the fourth prophecy that that uh, Peter refers to in this presentation of his gospel is that Christ would sit on David's throne. He says, and beginning with Samuel and all the prophets, they foretold about him. Well, what is it that Samuel said? In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 16, God made a promise to David through Samuel that there would always be someone from his line that would be on the throne of David, that would be on the throne of Israel. Jesus came as the son of David, the descendant of David, to fulfill the promise that God had made to David in Samuel's prophecy. Now those four were key for Peter. They were a very important part of the expectation of the Messiah in his day. And he wanted to make clear to them that Jesus fulfilled those four very key prophecies. Do you know that Lee Strobel in his book, The Case for Christ, says that the odds of one person fulfilling just four prophecies that were given in the Old Testament and fulfilling them the way that Jesus did are one to, to an, an astronomical figure so, so large we can't even, we can't even fathom. It's, it's larger than the, the U.S. debt. It's huge. But Jesus came to fulfill those prophecies so that we might know that he was the one that was predicted by the prophets. That's why we can place our faith and trust in Jesus, knowing that he's the one that was sent by God. The last piece of Peter's presentation of the gospel was that Jesus was the fulfillment of God's promise. Verses 25 and 26, he refers to a very important promise. He says, You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, And in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God had made that promise to Abraham. It was an unconditional promise. There would be through Abraham's descendants that all the families of the earth will be blessed. And God fulfilled that promise with one of, God, of Abraham's descendants named Jesus Christ, who now has made it possible for every family, every nation, every person on the face of the planet to be blessed by being made right with God through Jesus and what he did for us on the cross. Do you see how God fulfilled that promise made to Abraham? through Jesus. Peter wanted them to know this. He says, God, having raised up his servant, Jesus, sent him to you first 
to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Peter says, look, you, you are the descendants of Abraham. You're Jewish people. And, and it's been given to you first. But as Paul would say later, that this gospel, that is the power of God unto salvation to everyone to believe, who believes, to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. So that now God has made it possible for every person, no matter whether they are Jew or Gentile, male or female, slave or free, Paul says, to now be made right with him and one with one another through faith in Jesus Christ. Ultimately, that's what the gospel is all about. To be made right with God through faith in Jesus Christ. And Paul would say later that it's now according to faith that we are the sons of Abraham, not just according to our physical lineage or descent. Now in this passage, you might have noticed that Paul, Peter pauses right in the middle and he gives them a challenge. He calls for a response. And he says, and now each one of you, he says, repent therefore and turn back that your sins may be blotted out and that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. He is calling for response because you cannot leave this uh, offer, this invitation, this presentation of the gospel, you can't leave it and just not have any response at all because to not respond is to respond by rejecting him. And Peter calls on them to do some specific things. Repent. That means to turn away from sin and turn to God through Jesus Christ. To turn from the direction that you're going and turn back to him. And then he says, if you do that, then your sins will be blotted out. Your sins will be forgiven, wiped out, erased is what the word means. What a blessing to know that every sin, everything that you've ever done that was wrong, everything that you ever will do can be erased and blotted out because of the blood of Jesus Christ and what he did for you on the cross. And then he says, and that times of refreshing might come from God. You know, that's an interesting word. I looked it up, and that word actually means rest and relief. Boy, don't you love that? Times of rest and relief. But specifically, do you know what Peter's referring to? Rest and relief from the burden of trying to be made right with God by your own works, by your own actions. The, the, the burden of trying to carry that. Now you can rest and have relief from the burden of the law, relief of the burden of performance, relief from the burden that you carry of your sin. It's rest and relief that Jesus gives to us. Times of refreshing, that is what we all want. So Peter says, repent. Receive the redemption that Jesus Christ has given to you and experience refreshing rest and relief from all of that labor and stress and anxiety about where you're going to spend eternity because with Jesus, you have eternity with God. And then he says, the time of restoration is going to come. Peter uses the same word there that the disciples did in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, when they were asking if now God would restore all things. And Peter says, now that time will come. That time will come when, when Jesus returns again and then all things will be made right. Every person will stand before God. There will be a time of judgment. And that judgment will be on the basis of your response to Jesus Christ. How would you respond on that day? 
What would you have said if all the people were rushing around to you and saying, what does this mean? What just happened here? How did the healing of this lame man take place? Well, I hope we would do what Peter did. And then we would say, look, this is not about us. It, it's, it's all about Jesus. And let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you how he was glorified by God. Let me tell you how he was rejected by his own people. Let me tell you how that he was predicted by the prophets. And let me tell you that he has fulfilled the promise that God made to Abraham so that all of us can be made right with God through Jesus Christ. My hope, my prayer today is that you will respond to this message of the gospel that Peter preached and that you will, you will share this message of the gospel. Make the most of Jesus. Make him known. Make him great. Make much of who Jesus is and what he has done because that's the gospel. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this message that you gave through the lips of Peter in Acts chapter 3, and that through that message we can understand really what the gospel is all about. We thank you, Lord, that you were glorified by God through the resurrection of the dead and through those miracles that took place. We thank you, God, that even though you were rejected by your own people, that you came to fulfill that prophecy and the predictions that the prophets had made so that now you have fulfilled the promise that was made to Abraham. Lord, I pray that we might respond by, by placing our faith and trust in the name of Jesus, the only name given under heaven whereby we must be saved. And that, Lord, we will share that message of the gospel with everyone we meet so that they too can place their faith and trust in you. Lord, thank you for the good news of the gospel. And I pray that, Lord, we would believe it, live it, and share it. In Jesus' name, amen.